How about that New Hope worship team? Pretty amazing, aren't they? Really good. I'm grateful, Michael, for all the effort you guys have put in. Just countless hours they've invested. And it was uh, worthy because it's for the glory of the king, right, church? Yeah, absolutely. So you made it here. How great is that? How many people haven't wrapped their gifts yet? Okay, time to out yourself a little bit, right? I tell by the laughter, a lot of you. It's okay, you're, you're among friendly family. It's, it's true for many of us, but you, you made time to be here. You made time to be deliberate about adjusting your schedule. And, and so many people don't do that at this time of year. They don't adjust their agenda for Jesus. My wife shared with me about an individual that she heard of who was shopping in the mall. It was a woman and she had her son with her, just a little guy. And they're going from store to store and she's checking things off her list and she's moving so quickly, but she kept outpacing her little guy. And then she turned around to get frustrated with him and wait for him to catch up. Well, finally, she's walking so fast, she turned around and she sees him peering in a window and he's on his tiptoes looking inside and he sees inside the glass a nativity scene. And his mom rushes back to him and she said, what are you doing just standing there? We have so much to get done. And he said, mama, look, it's, it's baby Jesus in the manger. And she turned to him and said, we don't have any time for that. We have to get ready for Christmas. Hmm, <laughs> right? It's, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. Missing that Jesus is the center focus of Christmas. That, that's the reason we do this. Whatever else you may know about Jesus, don't leave here tonight without seizing upon this reality. The baby in the manger is God. God the Son becomes Jesus the man, and we can't understand it. It's the most remarkable thing that God would put on flesh in a manner far beyond our comprehension. The creator takes on the form of the created. And he did that specifically for a reason. Because his desire is to make you and I an object of his mercy and translate us over to being an object of his glory. Isn't that a huge thought? If you're new to church, that might be blowing you out of the water right now. But God says, I want to make you an object of my glory. But first, I need to make you an object of my mercy. See, the Bible clarifies that all humans on planet Earth, every single one of us, have sin. That we've all fallen. We're all vessels of wrath, Scripture calls us, according to Romans 9. We're vessels of wrath, and we fall short of the glory of God. But here's the truth. If you agree with this, say amen. God exercised great patience toward us because he's a God of patience. And because he exercised great patience, although he could exhibit wrath at any time, he chooses not to. And he holds back the wrath. Instead, he invites those who are vessels of wrath to become objects of his mercy for the purpose of becoming objects of his glory. And that is absolutely stunning. I want you to see this on the screen so you get it in your mind, what we're talking about here. This is what the Bible outlines in Romans chapter 9, that objects of wrath, everyone is there. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Objects of wrath become objects of his mercy for the purpose of becoming objects of his glory. I hope you are greatly encouraged with what we're looking at tonight. 
because it's intended for you to be encouraged. And we're gonna illustrate what we're talking about here by very briefly looking at the Christmas story so that we understand how this actually fleshes out. Here's the quick version of this. In the first century, Caesar Augustus is on the throne of Rome, and Rome is a massive empire, much larger than what we understand of it today in our day and age. 200 million people on planet Earth. That's all the population was in the first century. But the overwhelming majority of them are under the boot of Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus wants to restructure the empire. And he needs a cash infusion. So like any good politician, he thinks maybe if I take a census, I'll be able to increase taxes. And so they issue a decree. Augustus Caesar puts out a decree and he commands that everyone must go home for Christmas so that they can register in their hometown. So that's where we find Joseph. The decree brings a young carpenter into the town of his ancestors, his ancestor David. He has to go to Bethlehem. And Joseph makes this really long journey with his bride. They're legally married, but they've not yet physically consummated the marriage. A decision on Joseph's part because he understands what's going on. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with Matthew's version. You just heard Bob reading Luke chapter 1. Let's, let's look at Matthew's version in Matthew 1. It says this in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. That's a mouthful, isn't it? God caused her to be pregnant. Now, there's a very distinct process by which man and woman become husband and wife in the first century. It, I can't go into all the detail, but know this. There's a, a great party that's thrown. The father is the host, and there's gifts that are exchanged. And at the end or at the climax of it, there's documents that are signed. After the gifts are exchanged, there's a, a jar of wine that's poured. And, and then the dad brings out the documents that says this is a pledge, and this is a formal pledge, and they both sign it. Now, there's two stages. And the first stage is a 12-month waiting period. And during that 12-month waiting period, we find Mary is found out to be pregnant. During the 12-month waiting period, the bride goes home with her parents to prove her purity, while the husband-to-be goes to his place to build a home for his new bride. There's no problem for a carpenter. That's who Joseph is. He can do that. But Mary's showing so Joseph has to do something with that. Go with me to verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. See, it's during that 12-month window that he discovers it. And apparently the rest of the town discovers it. Mary's showing by this point in time, and Joseph is righteous. And he's got a dilemma. He knows the child is not his. But everybody's assuming that it is his. And in a small town, people talk, and they talk a lot, and they gossip. And the town believes that Mary is with child through sin. So it's going to take a calm, steady man to deal with the trauma of these circumstances. And that's Joseph. He's not only a carpenter. We know these things about woodworkers, that they're detail-oriented, they're, they're process-thinking and that's who Joseph is. He's strong. He's worked with his hands. Not only a carpenter working with wood, but they also wrestled stones. There were stonemasons as well. So Joseph is tough. 
but he's tender, and you see it in the midst of the story that he just genuinely loves Mary. He knows her so well. They very likely grew up in the same town together, and he knows her purity, and he knows her character, and he knows her honesty. How could she do this to him? That's what's going through his mind. By now, she certainly told Joseph that she is not guilty of immorality, and very likely she's told him about the visit of the angel. But there is no way he believes her. And he chooses not to seek the death penalty, although he could. Verse 19 says he plans to send her away secretly, which means a divorce. That's what he wants to do, but he has to let three others in on a plan. He has to write a letter of divorce and issue it to her father. And then he has to bring in two witnesses who will legally witness to the divorce and the reasons for it. In other words, everybody knows she's pregnant. This all adds up to the collapse of a young man's dreams. Nothing is going his way. But we know this about our God. We know that God is always at work behind the scenes. God is always working. Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for good. So God's working, and yet Joseph doesn't know that. So he's moving forward with his plans. Now watch Joseph's mindset in verse 20. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. We haven't made it to verse 21 yet. Verse 21 is what Joseph needs. Verse 21 is the reason why she's pregnant. It's the reason why Jesus came. And without verse 21, you don't have the real Christmas story. Look with me at verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph fell asleep with really hard, complex questions on his mind. Things that he could not resolve. And for most people, it would cause a sleepless night. I'm sure he's wrestling with these questions that are haunting him. And God shows up, and he doesn't just answer the questions about the pregnancy. He's drawing Joseph in to be an object of his glory. God wants to put himself on display through Joseph's life. So watch Joseph's response. Verse 24 and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Yeshua. Joseph could run. He could totally check out at this point and say, thanks, no thanks, I'm out. He's got free will. You have free will tonight. You can receive what God offers you or you can reject it. It's your choice. Joseph has free will. He doesn't have to do this. So it's safe to conclude that at this point, right here, this moment, this is his moment to decide, will I make room for what God is doing? Or am I chasing after my own agenda? That's why verse 24 is really crucial. And you just read verse 24, but just put three words up for you. These three words tell us what happened. Joseph awoke and did. It's, it's the very thing he determined not to do. 
The very thing he had already set his mind on saying, I'm not going there, I'm not going to do it. What in the world causes the 180? Why is he no longer thinking divorce? Well, he's got information now. He's aware with the information that God's provided. And now he's got to do something with it. Even though culture would be saying, Joseph, run. Go the other way. And his own human instincts are showing him, you got to run. But God stands in his path. And he says, trust me, Joseph. I'm working behind the scenes with things that you don't understand. I'm causing things to work together for good. Trust me with this, Joseph. You can't fully see it. Are you tracking with the flow of this? Watch the flow. Joseph hears God's invitation. And Joseph believes God's invitation. And as a result, he lets Jesus into his world. He hears it, he believes it, and he invites Jesus into his world. Now, mind you, the truth is Jesus is coming either way. The physical birth of Jesus is going to happen, but Joseph is invited to be part of it. He gets to be the one who puts God's glory on display. Track that. Objects of mercy become objects of his glory. You have the same choice tonight. God calls to you, and he calls to you across the ages. Do you see what I've done? Do you see what I've done for you? The lengths I've gone to for you? God's calling to you tonight. So at any time you have an encounter with God, you, you have to respond in some way. You can't remain the same. Joseph has to respond because any time, just like you tonight, any time you encounter God, you're never the same afterwards. You've participated in worship. You're talking about the glory of God tonight. You're singing praises to him. You're going to leave here differently tonight than when you came in. You've participated in something glorious. You can't remain the same. In neutral is not an option. So Joseph awoke and did. And that means everything from this point forward changes the trajectory of his life. Even though he doesn't know it yet, there will be a cost he was going to lose social standing. He's going to lose work in the community. Your reputation is everything in the first century. Joseph is certainly going to take verbal abuse from the people surrounding him because they don't believe Mary. And as you're about to see, there will be attempts on his life. All because he has to make room for what God's doing. But it's settled. It's settled Firmly at this point, he's going to make room for Jesus to enter his world. Now, transfer with me over mentally to Matthew 2. You know the story. The wise men show up. They, they come to Jerusalem first, and they've traveled all the way from what we know today as Iran. And they come saying, we've heard there's a king born, and we've come to worship him. We followed his star to get here, and people point them to Bethlehem. And they show up in Bethlehem, and when they arrive, they leave a lot of money. Go forward with the story. Verse 13. Now when they had gone, that's the Magi, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Now the Magi don't go back 
to Herod, even though they originally planned to do that, God warned them, stay away, don't go back to Herod. He said, the dude is totally messed up. You don't want to go there. Well, he doesn't actually say it that way, but just trust my interpretation, right? He's a madman, and he's raging that there might be another king who's been born. But I've stopped in the midst of that verse because of this. I think that there's a huge sense of confidence that's swelling up within Mary and Joseph at this point. A huge sense of confidence because these people have traveled all the way from Iran to come and see their son. And they brought all these gifts. And the wise men begin repeating back to them the very things that the angels had said to them. What a huge sense of confidence. Now, no sooner do the Magi depart than there's another warning that appears a warning specifically to Joseph. Joseph, King Herod, is on the rampage and he's hunting for the child and the number one thing on his mind, and I don't think I'm overusing this word, is to slaughter the child. That's why what happened in Bethlehem when Herod couldn't find the baby Jesus was called the slaughter of the innocents. What he did there is exactly what he wanted to do to Jesus. He's, he's on a rampage. So the warning is, get up now, Joseph. Take the child and his mom and run, Joseph. And don't stop until you get to Egypt. Hurry, Joseph. You've got to get out of here. It will take weeks. You've traveled with babies, most likely. But you travel with car seats and cars. Can you imagine walking across the desert nine days just to get to the border of Egypt. Nine days to get to safety. Best maybe you could do is 20 miles a day. Carrying a child, I'm not even sure they could go that far. N nine days while Herod is hunting for them and chasing after them just to get to safety. It's remarkable to me that this family is not instantly transported to Egypt because God's the God of wonders. I mean, if he can split the Red Sea, why doesn't he just move them there? But he doesn't. Why doesn't he just blind the eyes of the soldiers who are hunting for them? Why doesn't he just kill Herod? He doesn't do any of that. Could he? Yeah. But he chooses to protect them through ordinary means. And that's where the gifts of the Magi come in. The treasures from them, it more than pays for their travel expenses. It more than pays for their living expenses. But why Egypt? Well, to fulfill prophecy for sure. Look with me on the screen at Hosea. This was an Old Testament, is, is an Old Testament book, Hosea 11.1. 1. I called my son out of Egypt. Did you know that that was written 700 years before Jesus was born? That God said to Hosea, Hosea, write this down. My son's gonna be in Egypt. I'm gonna call him forth from Egypt. That's where that prophecy comes from. So verse 14 so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Say amen if you agree with this. God knows the Herods of this world. And he doesn't freak out over it. God is well dialed into the political agenda. He knows governmental systems. 
and they don't catch him by surprise. Why all this detail? Why all these pieces to the puzzle? So that we can really understand that an ordinary man who builds homes for a living finds himself dodging bullets from Rome's most notorious murderer. That's who King Herod was. And he was brutal. And yet God says, I'm working behind the scenes, Joseph. Joseph could have stayed safe. He could have found another girl to marry. He didn't have to marry Mary. But it's her. It's her whom God is working through. He could have lived a life completely uninterrupted. But what about God putting himself on display through Joseph's life? That's why that previous part was so important. Because when Joseph learns the why Jesus came, why did Jesus have to come? Joseph not only believes at that point, he makes room. He adjusts his life to God's plans. The, the Bible makes it incredibly clear, and it promises you that God is always at work around you. He's causing all things to work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you remember that from Romans 8, 28? I, I know we've looked at it a lot in the last two weeks. Just look at it one more time on the screen. Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together. So God calls to you because he has great purpose for your life. He calls to you because he wants to make you an object of his mercy. So God calls, and in those moments, I have to ask myself, how am I going to respond? For a person who doesn't yet believe, they have to ask themselves, do I believe this? Will I make room for Jesus in my life? For a person who's a believer, when God's activity is evident around you, you have to say, how am I going to put God on display through this? See, in spite of all of our flaws, and we all have them, God is at work in our lives. His first effort towards us is to transfer us from being objects of wrath to being objects of mercy. And once we're the objects of his mercy because we believe, then he transfers us from objects of mercy to the opportunity to be objects of his glory, and he does that by working through us, sometimes in the most extraordinary ways. Now, you may read this story, and you may heard this tonight, and maybe you're new to church, and you're thinking, well, Joseph is like super qualified. He's extraordinary. I mean, he's in the Bible for crying out loud. Well, you would be mistaken if you think he's super qualified. Joseph is no better than you. And I, I don't say that to cause you to gasp like I'm saying something sacrilegious. He has flaws just like the rest of us. How do I know that? Romans 3.23. You know this if you go to New Hope. Look at this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't say for everyone except Joseph. It says we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. That means none of us is qualified for life with God. It's the presence of Jesus that makes us qualified. Amen? Amen. Jesus makes you qualified. You're not qualified on your own. We have sin and we need the sin removed. Without Jesus, we're all lost. 
So every one of us is invited to respond. Every one of us has the opportunity to have the presence of Jesus in our life. Look with me on the screen. 1 Timothy 1.15, last verse I'm going to share with you tonight. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's trustworthy. Jesus came to make you an object of his mercy. So I'm asking you tonight, have you believed? Have you believed that that's why he came? That he's not just a historical figure, but that he's God? You can receive him just as you are. You can have Jesus' presence in your life. You don't need to be qualified. Don't wait until you're qualified. You won't get there. And maybe you're thinking right now, I'm just too far down the road. My sins in my past, they're so huge. And maybe you're thinking you've outsinned God's capacity to forgive you. You're misunderstanding God's grace, if that's what you're thinking. God's grace in forgiving sin is this. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what he's done. What you did yesterday or a week ago or 10 years ago, God said, I can separate that from you as far as the east is from the west and remember your sins no more. God will do that for you. So what do you do with this information? Do you sense that you need to do business with God tonight? If you're expecting God to do something more, you need to know he's already done it. He's already done it all. All you have to do is believe. So I'm gonna invite you to shut out the distractions right now. You close your eyes if you want. You can sit there with your eyes open. I can't see your eyes anyways. It's so bright right there with the lights, right? But you can, in the stillness of your seat, in the softness of your own breath, in the quietness of your own mind, you can deal with this issue. So I'm gonna ask you this, check yourself on this. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died for your sins and that God raised him to life again? If you believe that, have you ever admitted your need to God? Have you ever said to God, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus because I'm an object of wrath. But I need what Jesus brings. Have you ever done that? Tell him. You can do that right now in the quietness of your seat. Just say, I'm a sinner, God, and I need Jesus. I promise you, he won't be surprised. He knows everything about you. I say that for this reason. There is only one step to salvation, and here's the one step. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what scripture says. Are there things you do as a result of being saved? Absolutely. But salvation is not about some stairs you have to climb in order to earn your way to God. Yes, you should turn from sin. Yes, you should be baptized. Yes, you should commit to obeying God with your life. However, these are not steps to salvation. They're the results of salvation. Those are things you do because you've been saved, because you receive the forgiveness of God. God says, you're a new creation. Therefore, you're gonna to wanna to live differently. If you'd like a brand new beginning with God, if you'd like your slate wiped clean, you can do that right now. Ask him into your life. 
what I just shared with you, you can say back to God. Just tell him, you want forgiveness of your sin and you want a brand new beginning in Jesus. And I promise you, if you sincerely meant that, you are what the Bible calls born again. You got a new beginning. It's like starting all over again. If you want that, just tell him. So to help you, it's the last thought, and then we're gonna sing Silent Night in just a moment. To help you on your journey, if you've prayed to receive Christ tonight, if you did that in the quietness of your seat, we have these Bibles we're giving out. They're free. They're in the back of the auditorium. Please don't hesitate to take one. Many people have taken them throughout the course of this afternoon and this evening. In there is a note that I've written to you. And the note will explain to you the decisions about how to really understand what you committed to. And it'll give you a journey along the way. There's steps that you can read yourself. And if you want, email me. I'd be thrilled to talk with you about it. But please don't hesitate to pick these up. Grab one on your way out. Right now, what I'd love for you to do is just pray with me. Let me pray for each other and for people who may have just prayed to receive Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God in heaven, we bow our heads before you because you're the king. You're worthy of us humbling ourselves coming before you with open hearts. I stand before hundreds of people who are like-minded, they believe, but Father, there's a chance that there's individuals that have just come to belief. I pray that you'd be incredibly close to them. Let the power of your Holy Spirit surge through them. God, if they've confessed Jesus, show them what this new life is like. I pray that you would surround them with other believers and give them a boldness and a confidence, Father, about this new beginning. I pray that for every single person in this auditorium, whether they're a believer or just newly a believer or maybe even not yet. God, that you would cause us to be bold about the things that you have promised according to your word. And now we get to express our praise back to you. We get to sing one more song because you're worthy of it and what you brought to us on a silent night. So we praise you now. And we do that in the magnificent name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.